and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 140 where we go back, back to, the, to past the past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.com or subscribe to us via iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and by tuning into Rebel Free Radio, the Imperial channel, broadcasting to every point on your FM channel. Mm. Well, sounds to me like this could be another case of dun 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 dun. dun. If you don't know what that's supposed to be, the uh, John Williams. Oh yes. Sorry, yeah, didn't. <laughs> yeah, maybe that wasn't the best way. Uh, we're going to be reading Dark Empire number one today, December 1991, cover date, titled "The Destiny of a Jedi," published by Dark Horse Comics, written by Tom Veach. Art by Cam Kennedy, lettered by Todd Klein, cover by Dave Dorman. Cover price was two ninety five USD, three dollars and fifty five cents Canadian. So we'll start off with Tom Veach, the writer, born September twenty sixth, nineteen fifty one, and Chris is said to be the brother of Rick Veach, despite somehow being only four months younger. He's a miracle. Yeah, uh, something or maybe adopted. I really, maybe you know, adopted. Yeah, we really, we really looked for you know discrepancies in birth dates, but everywhere they both claim to have been born in the same year. So, who knows? A miracle. Mm-hmm. In the early <laughs> 1970s, Tom was a frequent contributor to Underground Comics, and his collaborations with artists Greg Irons were credited as GI slash TV. Tom appeared in Legion of Charlie's Deviant Slice, Skull Comics, and Slow Death Funnies, among other titles. Tom also had three novels published in the 1970s. That was Antlers in the Treetops, written with poet Ron Paget, published by Coach House Press, 1970. Eat This, published by Angel Hair Books, 1974. And the Louis Ahmed Story, published by Full Court Press, uh, 1978. I would have pronounced that totally differently. Oh, okay. uh, Lewis Arm. Lewis Arm. That uh, might be what it's supposed to be. Whoops. All right. Well, there we go. Now, through Epic Comics, Tom and Cam Kennedy would put out the six-issue series, The Light and Darkness War. This was 1989. It would later be collected by Titan Books in 2015. Through DC Comics, Tom published The Naz with artist Brian Talbot, uh, Clash with artist Adam Cubitt, and My Name is Chaos with artist John Ridgway. He'd also write Animal Man 
number 33 through 50. Those were cover dates March 1991 through August 1992. He picked up the writing duties from Peter Milligan, who had picked them up from Grant Morrison. Uh, Now, shortly after this, Tom wrote two Elseworlds books. This is Commandi at World's End and Superman at World's End. They were both drawn by Frank Gomez. Uh, in 19, sorry, in 2016, Tom published his first nonfiction work. This was Visions of Elias, a transcript of conversations that he'd had with his friend uh, that he'd met while a uh, Benedict, Benedictine monk, is that mm-hmm. how we say that? At a uh, Vermont monastery. Oh, but, right. <laughs> yeah, but sometime before that, he kicked off Dark Horse's Star Wars universe with the help of this fellow on the other side of the table named Campbell Kennedy. Now, he was born October 15, 1944, in Glasgow, Scotland, the United Kingdom. He began his professional life doing commercial art in his home city of Glasgow. And then beginning in 1967, Cam drew UK, pub, UK comics publisher D.C. Thompson's book, Commando, and that lasted until 1972. And then he would leave comics for a little bit to pursue fine art. In 1978, Cam was lured back into comics, uh, beginning by drawing The Fighting Man, a 1980-81 strip for Fleetway Publications' Battle Comic. As Battle began to wind down, Kennedy moved across to its stablemate, the weekly sci-fi anthology comic, 2000 AD. Working during 2000 AD's golden era, Kennedy was instrumental in several well-known strips that continue to this day, including The VCs, written by Jerry Finley Day, Judge Dredd with John Wagner and Alan Grant, and Rogue Trooper again with Finley Day. Kennedy broke into American comics in 1988 with the light and darkness war with Tom Veach, as we just mentioned. For DC Comics, Kennedy has worked on Lobo, Batman, Outcasts, and The Spectre. For Marvel, he has illustrated The Punisher, Daredevil, and Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., I think somewhat recently even. Uh, Mm. Kennedy would also draw The Dark Empire with Tom Veach, which we're going to read today. He would continue to draw some Star Wars comics throughout the 1990s, including Boba Fett with John Wagner writing. In 2005, Kennedy designated and produced, or designed and produced a brand new strip, Zancudo, written by Simon Spurrier for the Judge Dredd magazine. In 2007, he drew Kidnapped, an adaptation of Robert Louis Stevenson's Kidnapped, written by Alan Grant, published by Waverly Books for UNESCO's City of Literature program. Wagner has written three stories about character Kenny Who, an alter ego for Kennedy based on Kennedy's early problems getting work at American companies, and can currently be followed on Twitter at Cam Kennedy Art, and his website is kennywho.co.uk. Hmm. Now, uh, this is not the first time we're talking about Star Wars. If you remember, uh, back in episode 119 of the Treadmill, we talked about how Marvel Comics got the license to adapt the original Star Wars movie, as well as produce a series of their own. And ultimately, they they adapted the two other movies of The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Marvel published Star Wars comics, plus some spin-offs and the aforementioned adaptations, for 10 years, going from 1977 to 1987. And after that... Well, they they just stopped from the looks of it. Uh, There's no information we could find about any acrimonious split or some definitive moment that caused it. Uh, Now, we're guessing that uh, by 1987, four years out from the most recent film, Star Wars just wasn't a popular enough property and probably enough product to uh, produce comics in the quantities Marvel needed in order to justify their newsstand distribution. That's right, to get the six-figure quantities, you know what I mean? Uh, Which... 
is strange to think of today because, you know, today is no problem to publish six-figure quantities of Star Wars comics, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> True that, yeah. Uh, indeed, in 1987, Blackthorn Publishing acquired a limited license to publish a three-issue, 3D Star Wars comic, which uh, we probably should have covered or should cover, come to think of it. Probably. Uh, but in 1989, Tom Veach and Cam Kennedy pitched a Star Wars comic to Marvel's creator-owned imprint Epic Comics, which was then headed by Archie Goodwin. As soon as the comic book was announced, Archie Goodwin left Marvel for an editorial position at DC Comics, and subsequently Marvel lost interest in the comic and dropped it entirely, like almost right away. Mm -hmm. uh, Epic, the imprint itself, incidentally lasted until 1966. Uh, then it came back, but that's really a story for another day. <laughs> uh, Dark Horse Comics expressed interest in this book and subsequently published at, as the six-issue series Dark Empire, and we're going to read the first issue of that right now. But first, uh, this picks up after the events of the film Return of the Jedi from 1983. Uh, for a refresher, the Rebel Alliance defeats the Empire, or to make it even simpler, the good guys beat the bad guys in that movie. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> now, Luke Skywalker, after finding out he was the son of the Empire's second-in-command in the final movie, he confronts his dad, Darth Vader, in front of the of the head of the Empire. And that would be the Emperor, who's a withered-looking guy in a very plush-hooded robe. Ultimately, Darth Vader tosses the Emperor down an endless pit and sacrifices himself for his son. Later, the Alliance whoops it up with a bunch of living teddy bears called Ewoks on the planet Endor. And Luke sees ghost versions of the three most important dudes in his life, those being Obi-Wan Kenobi, who showed him the Force, Master Yoda, who taught him how to use it, and his father, Anakin Skywalker, who killed his boss to save his son. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, in in the re in the remakes, didn't they change that to be actually the dude they who played did, Anakin? They did digitally change that person to be the uh, the modern Anakin from the prequels. That let me tell you though that that is the least of the changes that should bother you. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Anyway, with all that said, we now begin Star Wars: Dark Empire number one. The cover of this issue could be a movie poster right out of the Star Wars franchise. Uh, one of those collage-type deals that are very familiar to sci-fi fans, both for movies and for uh, pulp paperback pulp covers. Books, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's all our favorites. we got Han Solo and Chewbacca standing battle-ready at the bottom right. R2-D2 and C-3PO in the middle foreground, a couple of exploding at-ats to the left. And rising behind them is Luke Skywalker wielding a green lightsaber. You know, looking at it closer, I actually think all these images are cribbed from the films, uh, which is fine, Michael. I guess, but that look, <laughs> it really looks like it. <laughs> now, our story begins aboard the Millennium Falcon in hyperspace. Uh, this is shown to be a uh, kind of hazy blue place, uh, good enough for comics, we suppose. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, Princess Leia is there, and she's busting Han Solo's chops. Yeah, she says, Han, the Navi computer just reported extreme turbulence at our re-entry coordinates. That'll be battle debris, Leia. The whole Imperial sector is littered with it. Warn the other ships, Chewie, and prepare to exit hyperspace. C-3PO says, Sir, the odds of collision with this space debris are 3,722 to 1, if I may suggest. Chewie, watch your thrusters. <laughs> and remind me to crosswire Goldenrod's voice synthesizer when we get back to base. But, sir, if I may say so, 3PL, sit down. Five seconds to re-entry. Starship wreckage dead ahead. Thrusters full right. Isn't that like 
something you should just do rather than yell about. You know, just you're holding, you're holding he the. Flourishes. Uh, you got yeah. the steering wheel, buddy. Just you, you, you handle the thrusters. Uh, Let's turn signal. Turn left. <laughs> you don't do that, do you? Anyway, uh, the Millennium Falcon has indeed emerged on a scene of much spaceship debris. And uh, it looks pretty cool. Uh, the whole book looks to have been colored using watercolors, which uh, gives it a very flat but textured look. It is. It's interesting. Uh, I don't really. It is. It sometimes I have a little trouble figuring out who is who, but you know it's all right. <laughs> uh, caption reads: "The Millennium Falcon, retrofitted with the latest light-speed ion engines, bursts out of hyperspace amidst the wreckage of a great space battle." And Chewbacca says. <laughs> He does say that a lot. <laughs> That's um, pretty much what he says, yeah. <laughs> the Millennium Falcon continues maneuvering through the garbage. Uh, there's a piece of a TIE fighter floating by, uh, all meticulously rendered. Yeah, really detailed stuff. Yeah. The Alliance Escort frigates at Rebel Star and Antares 6 are right behind the Falcon. Antares 6 finds a path through the destruction. Rebel Star is not so lucky. And we see two massive ships that look sort of like uh, joysticks from the original Tron arcade game uh, floating behind the Millennium Falcon. Uh, One of them has struck the back of the Star Destroyer, and it's evaporating. Leia says, Captain Nevis' frigate is hit. That leaves it in the entire six to help us find Luke and Lando. Yeah, nice situation. Luke crashes a captured Star Destroyer, and we just lost a good frigate crew. I still think we should have stayed home. Besides, Luke and Lando don't need us. I know those guys. Right about now, they've got the Imperials doing the Gamorrean two-step. But, Han, we lost their signal. The distress beacon broke contact at zero altitude. If uh, you'll allow me to translate, I think uh, Chewbacca is thanking them for bringing the reader up to speed I'm with uh, what's going on. i thank you, yes. That's true. Uh, Han Solo says, yeah, Chewie, you're right. I'm sorry I shot off my shot off my big mouth. And then into the radio he goes, Solo to Antara Six, hold docking orbit. We're going down to look for Commander Star Skywalker and General Calarissian. The Antara Six Commander says, Nep new solo. Son Kneto Akira Nibudog Nefnile. Now we don't know what that means, but uh there is the name uh, Archie Goodwin backwards at the end there. Yeah. So there, there's that. Han Solo says, what did he say? He said, we copy General Solo. We'll keep you on our tracking screens. Good luck. Oh, right. As the Millennium Falcon enters the gravitational embrace of the once glorious Imperial planet, a swarm of advanced fighter craft streaks past. Imperial fighters going our way? Don't even stop to say hello. Must be something important on their minds. Uh, shooting and killing you, most likely, was probably, probably what they were thinking probably. of, yeah. As the Millennium Falcon dips lower into the planet's atmosphere, a city skyline emerges on the horizon, and the Imperial fighters are right alongside the Falcon. They're heading straight for the Imperial City, where the Emperor himself used to hang his hat when he was alive. <laughs> According to Luke's last coordinates, you're right on course, Han. That's the idea, sweetheart. From all the smoke, I'd say that old Luke put her down right in the middle of battle action. Poor R2-D2 is with them. If anything's happened to him, I'll never forgive myself. Yeah, dude, we, we get it. We understand, um, I know. 
Now, uh, the surface of the planet looks worse than the flotsam and space above it. Everything here is wrecked. Uh, a couple of Imperial vehicles and stormtroopers roll around, uh, firing, firing weapons, and there's just nothing worth defending. It looks, it looks like a true uh, hellscape on this thing. Hmm. The ravages of civil war. Mutinous Imperials are deadlocked with forces loyal to the Emperor's inner circle for possession of a world that once ruled an empire. The Millennium Falcon streaks above the violent scene below, and Han Solo says, Look at the carnage. Maybe this time they'll wipe each other out, save us a lot of trouble. Luke's signal came from the center of the city, near the old Imperial Palace. I can see the Liberator, Han, or what's left of it. Solo skillfully pilots the Falcon through the chaos of battle, pressing on to the spot where his friends are fighting for their lives. Imperial Walker's got him pinned down. Take the helm, Chewie. Leah slides into position to man the guns mounted to the underside of the craft, while Han Solo, uh, I, I guess he'll just fire the other guns. <laughs> You're about to watch the greatest husband and wife gunner team in the galaxy. Even better than Bonnie and Clyde? Mm. I hope so. This is only the second time I've ever had to use one of these things. As Leah grips the controls of the blaster cannon, she remembers the words of her teacher letting her mind merge with the living energy field that binds the galaxy together. This better not be one of those uh, Steve Ditko weird cosmic characters, oh, right? Oh, God, the living tribunal is mm. crazy. Ah. <laughs> Luke is right. I can feel the force moving through me, guiding my hands in the terrible tasks of war. Leah Organa, life wife of Han Solo, already a mother of two, is, above all things, a Jedi warrior. Leia fires from the Millennium Falcon as it passes a massive Imperial Walker, and it's exploded from the back. It's exploding from the back. Got him! The Millennium Falcon lands near some humans and a couple of Ewoks. Lando Calrissian, Wedge Antilles, and the rebels who manned the captured Star Destroyer raise a cheer at the welcome sight of the Millennium Falcon. Lando Calrissian is a character played by Billy D. Williams in the Star Wars movies. Uh, he's the guy running Cloud City, who sells Han Solo out to Boba Fett at the end of Empire Strikes Back, but then joins up with the good guys for Return of the Jedi. And Wedge Antilles is even more obscure than that, played by Dennis Lawson in the original movies. He's one of the crackerjack pilots of the X-Wing Fighter Squadron, or whatever the hell that's called. Yeah, and he, he makes cameo appearances in uh, in Final Fantasy games. Uh, oh. him, and, him, and, uh, him and Biggs. They, wow, uh, they show that's up. nice. Wow. <laughs> In name only. But uh, on the ground, folks are reuniting and uh, providing their updates. Uh, yes, including uh, Star Wars' Bert and Ernie. Oh, R2, it's so good to see you in one piece. <laughs> Lando Carissian says, What took you so long? Another honeymoon? We've been holed up here for days. Lando, where's Luke? Yeah, can the crap, dude. Come on. Hey, let's go. Let's get, let's get <laughs> along with this. <laughs> get, get, just give him a Colt 45. We'll be good. Uh, uh, some well-packed traveler watches this scene from the shadows. He took off right after we crashed. He said something about the dark side still being very powerful in this place. Right now, I'm more worried about the renegades and scavengers that are crawling all over the ruins. And Wedge goes, every junk trader in the galaxy's been drawn to the battle zone. 
like flies to a feast. Yeah, well, everyone plays their part in war, you know, and, that's how And it I is. don't think that's the saying, is it? I don't believe that. A fly, no. yeah, and the feast, what, mm. a feast of what? But let's, we don't need to yeah. go down that path. No, 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 no. Uh, while Wedge tells of the horrors of junk traders, the one lurking in the shadows speaks over a walkie-talkie, which brings out a large armored vehicle full of mercenaries. This bunch is using the hot-wired weapons droids. They created their own little army. Look out! They're making a move! In moments, weapons-firing scavengers are on the scene. When social order collapses, even an unjust social order, pillagers and thieves always rise to the occasion. Han Solo is firing back with his blaster. He says, Oh, great! They're between us and the Falcon. While the war droids pin us down, the scavs are getting out, with, getting out their tools. <laughs> Get away from my ship, scum! Come on, Chewie! Han, don't be crazy! It looks like Han Solo and Chewbacca are looking to run and gun and save their ship. Uh, but Lando has a warning for them. Watch it, Han. They're releasing a pack of necks. Next, Siberian battle dogs kept in reserve by the canny scavs for a moment like this. Yeah, these things look uh, like some sort of like a virus seen through like an electron microscope. Yeah, it's you know, like weird. one of the big yeah. uh, terwilligers, whatever they call them. <laughs> uh, as Hans' charge is halted by one of the vicious necks, Leah halters, holsters her weapon and uses the force to sow confusion in the minds of the primitive creatures. Luke taught me this. Faster than a blaster, and a lot less messy. I don't know, dear. I think I prefer a blaster. That way I know they're not going to just gnaw off my leg when my back is turned. Ooh, you know, not joining is one thing, but you really should not make fun of your wife's religion. I'm telling you, I know from experience, don't do it. (laughs) With unexpected suddenness, a great terrible sound rends the air, and the battle dogs are hurled shrieking in all directions. Yeah, there's a massive... And the necks are flung about. Han says, Gosh, Leia, I apologize. I didn't know you could... It wasn't me, Han. Look! A shadowy figure, menacingly familiar, emerges from the ruins of the Imperial Palace. It's Luke. The figure gestures. A simple gesture. The gesture of a Jedi. It's Luke Skywalker. A gesture that moves ever so slightly the internal mechanisms of the weapons droids. At Luke Skywalker's gesture, several robots explode simultaneously. Luke! Luke, behind you. Looming behind Luke Skywalker, who has now stepped completely into the light, is a massive Imperial walker. Now they're, they're really ticked him off. Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, a powerful and skillful user of the Force, more skilled than ever in the ways of the Jedi lightsaber. Luke uses the lightsaber to deflect the shots coming from the Imperial Walker. Uh, They land back on the Walker and tear it apart up front. Yeah, right in the faceplate. Gashed by its own fire, the huge war machine looms over its human opponent, as if waiting for Luke's next move. Remembering the words of his master, Luke presses the force against the crippled walker. Luke remembers some of his master's sage advice. Size matters not. The only difference is in your mind. Mm, The Imperial Walker falls down. The Walker falls. Exactly that. And then, the reunion of brother and sister, and friends who have fought this long war for freedom. 
Yes, R2. This is quite an emotional moment. My protocol empathy empathy module is starting to overheat. Or are you just happy to see R2-D2? <laughs> There's a look in Skywalker's eyes. A look his sister has not seen before. Luke, what's wrong? I found strange clues in the palace. I have to stay here, Leah. But you and Han, Chewie, Lando should leave this place at once. Are you kidding? We traveled a million light years to get you out of trouble, and you want to stay here? Han, you don't understand. There's a great disturbance in the Force. Someone or something is using the dark side of the Force with unbelievable power. I felt it. I've seen it. But if you smelt it, you dealt it. <laughs> but you know we can't leave you. I won't let you face whatever it is by yourself. Whatever this thing is, we'll be right beside you. Blasters blazing. Han, this isn't just another gun battle. A vast evil is approaching. It knows I'm here. What will happen is unavoidable. It is my destiny. It's beginning now. Out there somewhere. It's coming out of hyperspace. And in space, something is happening. Uh, not far from that frigate that left uh, they left parked there. Yeah, the Antares 6 captain says, Dive Neely! On board the Antares 6, Captain Snunub and his crew behold an awesome sight. A hyperspace wormhole has opened in the night. A mighty energy storm emerges. With rumbling chaotic fury, the storm sweeps down across the planet's surface. It's almost upon us. There's no need for you to die, too. I don't want you. It doesn't want you. It wants me. Leave. All of you. Or you'll be destroyed. Now, Luke, we are brother and sister Jedi. The others can go. I must stay. We are brother and sister, but my destiny is not yours. Yeah, Mom got me the blue one, and yours is red. My mom, my mom always knew to do that. You gotta be a very mm -hmm. smart person. It's true. You, your children are the future of the Jedi. Protect them. Leave. Everyone draws away from Luke while he stands defiantly facing this cosmic storm that is just ripping up the busted surface of the planet. Yeah. It doesn't look like something you want to stand in front of, I'm going to tell you. No. That. Luke alone knows the level of power and knowledge he has achieved in the years since Obi-Wan Kenobi, Master Yoda, and his father Anakin Skywalker passed on. Knowledge that has given fresh meaning to the words of the great Jedi Knights who went before. Do not underestimate the power of the dark side. Leah says, Luke, no! Han goes, come on, he can take care of himself, even if he is crazy. R2-D2, however, is reluctant to leave his owner. At least not until the uh, warranty is up. <laughs> R2, oh no, he thinks he belongs with Master Luke. Stop him, someone, please. No time. Luke will have to save R2 while he's busy saving himself. Get on board, 3PO. Luke alone knows that his very presence on this world has triggered a response of such hatred that it rends the fabric of space itself. The Millennium Falcon takes off, leaving Luke and R2-D2 to be swallowed by the roving storm portal, which turns everything pink and blue, uh, which uh, must lead uh, into probably Miami Vice world. I would think that. That's what it looks yeah. like here. Moved by the power and urgency in Luke's command, the heroes of the Alliance feel no choice but the, to abandon their friend to his fate. Beep, beep. And across the vast depth, deeps of space, two masters of power touch minds. One, the very essence of a Jedi. The other, dark beyond darkness. 
This causes Luke to hover while a lot of twisted junk hovers around him. Meanwhile, in space aboard the Millennium Falcon... Han goes, Believe me, Leia. Luke knows what he's doing. I think. Yeah, he almost has the utmost confidence in him, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not so sure, Han. Something about the way he looked at me. I was afraid of him. Lando, notify the escort. We're returning to Pinnacle Base. Right. Lock in the auxiliary power, Chewie. Prepare to do light speed. And we are to be continued. Oh, my goodness. What a cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. What a cliffhanger. Totally. So totally. then what but, happened? <laughs> what happens next? Well, it, it turns out that the Emperor Head Sith, leader of the Dark Side, who died at the end of the Return of the Jedi... Check this out, he didn't really die. Nope. <laughs> uh, instead, his essence inhabited a clone body and studied some more of the darkness. Yeah, the uh, Emperor learned to create Force Storms anywhere in the galaxy, a power unique to all Jedi and Sith. He was the only one that had that. Uh, hmm. Then he sought to initiate Operation Shadow Hand, which would assert his dominance over everything, everywhere, forever. The Emperor hopes, as always, to convert Luke Skywalker over to the dark side and have a kind of father and son lineage thing going to that end he teleports luke and r2d2 into a dungeon so it kind of his sales technique could be a little better right if he's trying to convince you so. you know yeah. you, you want to woo somebody wine and dine right yeah. you gotta do a little more yeah but i mean if you could do anything why do you need luke i, I just don't get that's it. a uh, good question <laughs> the, the fatal flaw here uh but then he uh, sends out these massive machines that eat planets and he uses them to for fuel to create more massive machines now, the first place they go is, and uh, we're not making this up, Mon Calamari. And uh, this is where the squid-headed aliens live. Uh, y- you know, that one that said, it's a trap in the original movie. Oh, Admiral Akbar? Gesundheit. Right. Uh, Luke finally faces off against the Emperor and is so impressed that he agrees to become his apprentice. He sends R2-D2 away with a code for the gigantic world destroyers. While the Alliance tries to evacuate Mon Calamari, Han Solo and Leia try to escape with the help of some friends on a moon near Jabba the Hutt's domain. Uh, by the way, we hope you've seen those original movies, otherwise... <laughs> this is just make much sense. Uh, they turn the tables on them and turn Han and Leia over to Boba Fett, who was thought to be dead after being dumped in a Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi, but I guess it didn't take. He's fine. He got better, too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they escape his clutches, and uh, Han and Leia head out to save Luke. He's on planet Beas with the with the Emperor clones, incidentally. Uh, on Beas, the Emperor immediately captures Leia and threatens her unborn child. In anger, she throws him over and steals a MacGuffin that we're going to call the Jedi MacGuffin. That's right. Uh, they all <laughs> escape with the Millennium Falcon, but it turns out Luke pulled a dark side trick to make him think that he escaped. Instead, he really stayed behind to destroy the Emperor, and he winds up being wooed back by the Emperor again, basically. You can't you know, can't quit that guy, apparently. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, R2-D2 makes it to Mon Calamari to stop the world destroyers from chewing it up. We just wanted to say Mon Calamari again. (laughs) It's really so silly. I love it. (laughs) Now then, Luke is sent to get Leia, but she uses the Jedi MacGuffin or something. Uh, Frankly, it gets sort of confusing from here, but our takeaway is that uh, the good guys won for now. Yeah. 
Um, and indeed, this did lead to a sequel by Veach and Kennedy in 1994. This is the six-issue Dark Emperor Empire 2, which is a very good name for it. Um, and that led to another six-issue sequel called Dark Empire, colon, Empire's End, written by Veach but drawn by Jim Bakey, or Bikey, uh, that was published in 1995. Yeah. So, yeah, let's, uh, let's do with, with this story done here, let's talk a little bit more about Dark Horse Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, let me tell you, they. Uh, what it seems like to us is that uh, Star Wars gave out short-term licenses per property, but Dark Horse never allowed a moment to slip past where they weren't publishing Star Wars comics. Yeah, that's true. Because they definitely did not let this thing languish. Uh, after the success of Dark Empire, Dark Horse subsequently launched dozens of series set after the original film trilogy, including Tales of the Jedi from 1993 to 1998, which is actually the header of a series of comics that was the Knights of Old Republic, 1993 to 94, by Tom Veach, the Frida Nad Uprising, 1994, by Tom Veach, Dark Lords of the Sith, 1994 to 95, by Kevin J. Anderson and Tom Veach, The Sith War, 1995 through 96, by Kevin J. Anderson, uh, The Golden Age of the Sith, 96 through 97, also by Anderson. Fall of the Sith Empire, 1997, by Kevin J. Anderson. Redemption, 1998, by, guess who? Kevin J. Anderson. And uh, there were plenty of artists involved here, so we're, we apologize for not naming all of them. It's really just too many names to be throwing at you for, for sure. this thing, but it was a lot of talented folk. Uh, X-Wing, Rogue Squadron, another title that ran for 35 issues, 1995 to 1998. Star Wars colon Republic to 1998 to 2006, which ran for 83 issues. This was named only Star Wars until issue 46 when Republic was added to the title. They published Star Wars Tales from 1999 to 2005. This was a 64-page anthology book consisting of six stories per issue, and it ran for 24 issues, which may be the longest-running anthology since the EC comics in the 1950s. Could be. Now, uh, <laughs> Star Wars Empire ran from 2002 to 2006, and that ran 40 issues. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic ran 2006 through 2010, and that ran for 50 issues. Uh, then jumping up to 2012, a five-issue miniseries, Knights of the Old Republic, colon, War, was released. Now, instead of publishing ongoing series after Knights of the Old Republic ended in 2010, Dark Horse began publishing a series of miniseries, including... Star Wars colon Agents of the Empire by John Ostrander and Stephanie Rue. That was 10 issues, cover days December 2011 to February 2013. This was set a few years before Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and focused on an Imperial Intelligence agent named Yehan or Jehan Cross. Hmm. Star Wars Blood Ties. This was by Tom Taylor and Chris Schalf. Ran four issues, August through November 2010 cover dates. This was set in varying time periods that show the bonds between certain characters in the saga, uh, such as Jango Fett and Boba Fett. Uh, this would lead to another four-issue follow-up, which ran from April through July 2012. Cover dates. Star Wars colon Dark Times had 33 issues, including a zero issue from November 2006 to tw- November 2013 cover dates. Set in the years after Star Wars colon episode 3 Revenge of the Sith and showing former characters from Star Wars colon Republic after Order 66, which if you recall was to kill all Jedis. 
Mm. Star Wars colon Darth Vader, which was four separate five-issue series uh, that happened in the years 2011 through 2014. They were set almost immediately after Revenge of the Sith, and it showed how Darth Vader is dealing with his past as Anakin Skywalker. Oh, boy. Touching stuff. Very uh, Star Wars colon Dawn of the Jedi by John Ostrander and Jan Dersema. That had 15 issues, February 2012 to March 2014 cover dates. Set thousands of years before Star Wars colon episode one, The Phantom Menace, and showed the origins of the Jedi and the Sith. And then the scrolls get involved because it's Star Wars Invasion. Uh, Tom Taylor and uh, Colin Wilson. the Dominators, too. You don't know. Could, could be. be. Could be. <laughs> now, this ran 17 issues, including an issue zero. Uh, cover dates October 20, um, 2009 through uh, November 2011. And this was set during the early days of the Yuuzhan Vong War, and it dealt with how the New Republic is faring. Oh, that war. Mm-hmm. That was a tough one. Uh, Star Wars colon Jedi had five issues made through September 2011. This was set a few decades before the Phantom Medicine deal dealt with Qui-Gon Jinn in an undocumented area of his life. Star Wars colon Knight Errant, written by John Jackson Miller. This one ran 15 issues between October 2010 and October 2012 cover dates. This uh, series was set 1,000 years before The Phantom Menace, and it dealt with a lone Jedi's war against the Sith. Star Wars colon The Old Republic had 11 issues October 2010 to October 2012 cover dates. This was set around the events of the game Star Wars colon The Old Republic and provided crucial backstory. Indeed, the video game is partly based on the original Dark Horse series from the uh, 1990s, so how about that? Yep. Uh, the Star Wars. Now, this is uh, one that I actually... I was going to say I read it, but I, I didn't get very far. Uh, <laughs> I, did re- I read the first one of these, I remember. <laughs> I think that's what I did, too. Uh, I have them all. I just didn't read them. Uh, this is by J.W. Rinsler and Mike Mayhew. This is a series that ran eight issues, covered eight September 2013 through May 2014. And this is an odd series because it's based on George, George Lucas's original draft for Star Wars. Yeah. So it's like Luke Star Killer is, uh, right, is the right. character in it. It's very, very interesting. A, a, a neat little uh, a piece of, uh, of history there. Um, now, from 1998 to 1999, Dark Horse produced Star Wars manga. They adapted the original trilogy and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace as manga. Dark Horse also published miniseries adapting The Phantom Menace, Episode Two: Attack of the Clones, Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith, and the Thrawn trilogy, which was a series of novels written by Timothy Zahn. About Star Wars, obviously. Uh, Indeed, Dark Horse worked fairly closely with Bantam Books to achieve a cohesive continuity, uh, which worked more often than not, although it pretty much also didn't work many times. Uh, But it did satisfy most Star Wars fans for canonical purposes. Yeah, so the point of all this is uh, Dark Horse didn't exactly let their relationship with Lucasfilms and Star- films and Star Wars licensors languish. They didn't let it lapse. They were always no, they were always pumping it out. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I, I remember going into uh, like Wizard magazines and around the turn of the century when like the the 80s nostalgia wave hit and. Uh, and and you could figure that like Marvel might have been a little upset that they let it go at that point because <laughs> it was yeah uh, there 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 was sort of a Star Wars resurgence uh yep. well, definitely around the the newer around films. the new trilogy but yeah. even a little earlier than that I remember kind of like ninety five or even for, for sure people got interested but you know these guys they they did a good job and as as we gone through a lot of these runs lasted you know thirty Decent fifty a long yeah. long time you know what I mean so. 
this tells me that you're they're doing the right thing. They're moving comics and and absolutely and keeping the lore alive. There you go. But uh, all things come to an end, and yeah. this would change in 2012 because it was then that it was announced that Marvel Comics would be publishing new Star Wars comics. And uh, they also got the big gift of all the old ones. Hey! <laughs> but uh, we will talk about that in a subsequent episode. That's right. We will do part three of our Star Wars in the comic series. If we don't go back mm-hmm. to the Blackthorn, that'll be maybe the part 3A. Maybe. The, <laughs> the 3D comic sometime. But, uh, yeah, uh, that will just could bring us up to current. But... Uh, to cap off this episode, let's read a little bit of listener mail again, two times in a row, Chris. I think this Look might be us. a first, or it is very rare. This one is, a, though, it's a response from Mauro Giovanelli, who wrote in uh, that we talked about his thing last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, he starts out, hello guys, thanks for reading our letter, out our letter in the last episode of the Cosmic Treadmill. That comment we made about your Australian accents was, of course, just our little joke. And I gotta say... The only joke around here is our attempt to do accents, so don't worry I about it. I was so proud. I was so proud of that. I thought I thought we actually had one. We nailed it for once. Yeah, got we something. Did. You continues by saying, uh, we were more than happy to put something back into the podcast and to contribute with a little further information, particularly as how your show has always provided such gra- such a great source of interest and education to ourselves. You were quite right to mention the similarities between the anti-comics campaigns at the, of the time in both the U.S. and the U.K. Although I stand by what I said in my previous message regarding the motives that led to Winston Churchill's attempts to get comics banned, as outlined in the book British Comics by James Chapman. The two situations actually had a lot more in common than one may think. Yeah, he says, uh, not only had the former prime minister taken offense to how he had been previously depicted in humorous publications, but actually went on record for blaming publisher D.C. Thompson for losing him uh, his place as local MP for Dundee, (laughs) Scotland in 1922. This incident had bred a lifelong animosity towards the people that had brought us the dandy and the beano, as well as a disdain for comics in general. Excuse me. There were seven sample publications, virtually all American reprints, that were presented to Parliament as a case against the medium. It consisted of the following titles. Frankenstein comic, which was American. Black Magic. Captain Marvel, definitely American. Jesse James. (laughs) I would guess that one was American. Rod Cameron Western and Casey Ruggles Western comic. I would guess those are probably American. Uh, mm. However, there is, al- there is also evidence of original American titles being used as evidence further along the campaign, such as EC's Vault of Horror. Now, I wonder if that Black Magic is that uh, that Kirby horror. Oh, from, uh, you're, you're, you're right. That could be that Harvey book, Black. And uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. It might be the the Prize Comics one, right? The Black Magic. Uh, well, it was uh, DC uh, in the '70s, but was I think it? those were reprints of uh, of older stuff, so yeah. they could have been from anywhere. Could have been. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, American. Um, he continues. The timescale coincides with the events that led up to the introduction of the Comics Code over in the U.S. Your episodes covering this debate were highly enjoyable and informative. Thank you so much. Uh, so we think that it's probably fair to assume that they may have influenced public opinion in Britain, too. The main difference is that American publishers learned to deal with the new regulations and pulled through regardless, whereas in Britain, the foundations were laid for a slow and steady decline. We also agree with you that most other European comic-producing countries are currently enjoying a thriving comics market that caters to both adults and children alike. Although we are of British origin, we currently reside in Italy, and as far as we are aware, there has never been a similar controversy regarding censorship there, or in other places such as France, Belgium, or Spain. 
Yeah, and we know comics are so entrenched in Italy, they have their own name for them. It's fumetti. Which, fumetti, yeah. Which we have taken to be those uh, weird things from Help and Crazy photos. Magazine, yeah. the photo play. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what they call them. And they have a long, I know they have a long tradition of also kind of salacious, uh, sexy right. lady comics. Adult, yes. Yeah, truly adult <laughs> stuff. But uh, that is fascinating. Uh, we got to thank Absolutely. Moro and whoever the other person or people being implied in the uh, we are. <laughs> uh, yeah, this really says a lot. I, I, you know what I think, Chris, also, hmm. is, you know, American periodicals and newspapers are pretty much published right right out of London. You know what I mean? I mean, patterned right after, like, the London tradition of you know different editions during the day and that Evening really edition, yeah at a, at a, at one time would have really driven distribution in general that's when the trucks left was for the paper uh, sure. i wonder how much that ties into these countries attitude towards comics you know what i mean it's something that's a good question yeah something we we might have to mull over and and talk about and see you know that that uh they, they might have just been like listen we don't want to give space to these you know, ten cent things when we can <laughs> stuff another, you know, a couple of bundles of newspapers or magazines in sure. there. So uh, that would be interesting to think about. But I, I do find it fascinating that we had a similar kind of a kidifying uh, of comics at the same time yeah. for similar but different reasons. Anyway, he has a PS also. Uh, well done, both of you, for your appreciation of the Rick Mile Adrian Edmondson <laughs> combination of comedy genius. The young ones are right up there, just behind Monty Python in our humble opinion, and closely followed by Bottom, Filch, Filthy Rich, and Catflap, The Dangerous Brothers and Comic Strip Presents, uh, and the sketches uh, specific would have been Mr. Charlie Lives Next Door, Dirty Movie, and Fistful of Traveler Checks, above all. Uh, all the best, and keep up the great work, Moro. And thank you very much, Moro yes. and, and company. Um, you know, I haven't seen all these. I haven't. I've never seen Filthy Rich and Cat Flap. I think that or... one. That one I saw a couple episodes of. That is uh, Rick Mail as a. Uh, he, he's like a celebrity, and uh, a Nigel Planer's in it. But he's like his agent. It, it's. Uh, I it's think I weird. saw an advert on the DVD for Bottom, which. Oh, probably. Which you, which you put me onto. I, I was yes. only knowing about uh, Young Ones and the comic strip. But he put me on the bottom. I thought that was hilarious, and I've oh, heard. Of, I great. think the live shows were fantastic. A yes, lot of fun. all that extra stuff. So uh, yeah, I find those two quite enjoyable. And mm-hmm. uh, behind Monty Python, I mean, to me, it's like two different. We're talking about you know two different fruits here, but you know, <laughs> uh, just two different types of humor. But whatever it is, uh, I do appreciate them both, and I definitely absolutely appreciate that mail. And we appreciate all of your mail about any subject that we've covered today. If you like, want to talk about Star Wars, Dark Horse comics, or uh, Chewbacca, anything we went through, <laughs> uh, you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. You can follow us on Instagram at Cosmic Mail. And we're also on Twitter at the same thing, at Cosmic TML, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. Uh, you can check out our weekly writings and recordings of a new DC Comics over at WeirdScienceDCComics.com. And you can see Chris's daily posts about DC Comics, currently about Action Comics Weekly, on ChrisOnInfiniteEarth.com. A new post every single day, again, currently going through the Action Comics Week by week, uh, mm-hmm. and week by week on your blog, but you know, still posting daily. But if you go into those archives, 
Boy, you're going to turn up DC Comics. That'll blow your ever-loving mind. So you got to check it out, <laughs> chrisoninfiniteearth.com. And you can also check out the show site over at chrisandreggie.com, where you'll find our entire archive. So you can find that other Star Wars episode in the order that they were recorded. That's so right. it won't be too terribly hard to find it. Though I guess if you Google it, you'll also find it too. But uh, it's at the site, so that's the important part. Um, you'll find our show notes, our, uh, our archives, all our different little uh, libraries of episodes. Episodes for a lot of different things: uh, Weird Comics History, Young Animal, Sandman Universe, That's right. uh, our solo shows, and of course the Cosmic Treadmill. Gosh, we have a lot going on, don't we? Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. ChrisandReggie.com. So definitely check that out. But I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? Nah, it'll do it. Well, until next week, folks. I want you to keep it on the treadmill. <laughs> Woke up this morning with light in my eyes And then realized it was still dark outside It was a light coming down from the sky I don't know who or why Must be those strangers that come every night Those saucer-shaped lights put people up tight Leave blue-green footprints that glow in the dark I hope they get home all right Hey, Mr. Spaceman Won't you please take me along I won't do anything wrong Hey, Mr. Spaceman Won't you please take me along